everybody. Welcome to the Sally Allen podcast. As you know, I use this platform to give people a voice to share their stories of resilience. And today I am really, really, really excited about our guest, special, special guest. Her name is Dr. Leslie Kalen. Did I say that correct? Yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Leslie was introduced to me by Mr. The One and Only John Orlando. And um, welcome, Dr. Leslie. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here on our show today. Um, your story is really powerful, and I was really excited when I heard it. Which parts of it are you sharing with us today? Oh, well, I'll share whatever it is that we need to get into. <laughs> um, whatever will be inspiring to your audience and helpful, and um, whatever tools and strategies that can come of it that because that's really my motivation here is to not just share my story and be able to really share what happened but also help people take what happened in my experience and apply it to theirs um, to have strength and to grow and become better because that's really what these situations in our life are all about. I love that, sharing with a purpose, mm -hmm. being intentional. I like that. So then I guess, why don't you start from the beginning? <clears throat> well, the beginning is, uh, really, it was since I was a kid, I was always different from, from everyone else when I was a child. I, I always kind of knew that. But um, as I became more ambitious in my life and I was, in, I was married and, and starting to kind of get to a next level in my personal evolution, my self-evolution process, I needed to sort of embark out on my own. The relationship I was in, the marriage I was in, I, I began to outgrow. There were just some challenges. It was time for me to step out. So I stepped out. And um, being Canadian in this, you know, city of just sharks and lions, which I had no idea existed, you know, it was lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, kind of thing. <laughs> Totally naive, oblivious, just wanting to shine my light and do good work. You know, I um, left the marriage, started working in this um, psychiatric facility, um, outpatient, using my doctoral degree skills that I was just, you know, developing my doctor nursing practice skills, raising my two little kids, going through a very, very horrible divorce, uh, estranged, became estranged from my family. Um, it was just the way the dynamic was and, and where we were all at in our understanding of life and relationships and that sort of thing, um, I sort of, there was distance that was created. So I was going through a very difficult time alone raising young children, and I was, I was in a very um, weak, vulnerable, impressionable state in my, my process. It was really my first time ever being alone on my own. Like I had met my ex-husband when I was very young. So I went from my family life to, you know, a codependent, very codependent relationship. So breaking away from that was terrifying. Yeah. Being in another country alone, raising two kids. I even though I had all these academic skills, I had zero emotional, mental strength, um, street smarts, nothing. You know, so um, I was doing my thing in the psych facility. I started seeing one of my colleagues and um, didn't think anything of it. Just kind of happens sometimes, you know. 
you get comfortable with someone. And unwittingly, unbeknownst to me, he was doing some things with my prescribing privileges at that time, working with another compound pharmacist who... There was a much, much bigger scheme that was going on that I had no idea was going on until much later. But um, so there was just some crazy stuff that was happening. Didn't know um, until one day my boss sort of approached me on what was happening and or what he suspected was happening. And I was totally shocked. I'm like, what do you mean they're using my my prescriptions to, you know, do kickbacks and like billing the insurance and like creating all these red flags in the insurance company, which would of course come back to him. And I, so I approached the gentleman that I was seeing at the time who I worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he acknowledged, yeah, that's exactly what was happening. And if you say anything, if you do anything about it, you're going to pay. Essentially. He became incredibly abusive The switch just kind of flipped. Um, And before then, of course, before I had, you know, approached him about this, he would, it was very weird. I had never been someone who would be like, who's open to help. I just, I was grown, I, I was raised with two farmer parents. You know, we worked hard. We, you know, did everything our own. We just self sufficient. And so when he he would say, here, I'm going to give you some money here and there. Just, you know, take care of your kids. I know your ex-husband isn't there to help you. You don't have family. And so I'm like, okay, I thought it was a genuine wanting to help. He knew that even though I wasn't financially struggling, I was doing well, um, it was still like, it was generous. I'm like, okay, I I could, you know, you don't think. I didn't think. I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, okay, this is new. Fine. But at that point when I vocalized to him, like what's going on is what my boss telling me about what you're doing true and and this the switch flipped and he became abusive and threatening and he's like yeah and if you say anything all that money that I gave you where do you think it came from I wasn't just giving it to you oh my god it was that I can implicate you I'll you know it was so terrifying on top of everything else that I was going through in my life now I have blackmail yeah and this criminal activity with this guy I had no clue what was going on and um again being naive and I mean in Canada we leave our doors unlocked like you don't think about this kind of diabolical weird stuff happening like I had no idea so you know one of the big mistakes that I made was not saying anything at that time I I was terrified I was being threatened my life was being threatened my children's life was being threatened he would show up at places with really strange, crazy-looking people just to make sure, you know, that I knew to stay in line. If I ever, you know, we got into a fight and I wanted to break up, oh, there was never going to be a breakup, you know. Wow. So I'm, I'm kind of going through this, the prelude to all the craziness. That's not even the worst part of what, what kind of transpired, but... So that kind of lingered. I, I stayed in that situation for a couple of months until I could safely leave that place of employment. And my attempt to leave that relationship by creating that distance geographically, right, from my work. Um, he would leave envelopes of money, though, on the table, which, like, at my work, I didn't know what to do with it, right? It was just there. So I'm like, I, 
I didn't know what to do. It was crazy having, you know, a couple hundred dollars. So I just took it because, well, I didn't know what else to do, you know? So anyway, I just thought it's fine. I'm just going to do my thing. I have my plan to exit. I'm going to be safe. My kids are going to be safe. All this can just go away. Mm This will just be fine, you know? And then I left and, um, you know, he tried to still try and be in my life and cause havoc and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I tried to keep it at bay as best I could until like a year later, the feds came knocking on my door one morning with my kids. My kids were in bed with me because they were little. My kids were little. So a couple of questions before we transition to the feds knocking on your door. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good segue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take for you or for the doctors to find out that he's doing this? Because there, there was a doctor that approached you and said this is going on. Yeah, so it was about three months, I think, from what I knew after, in hindsight. Like, again, I didn't know when all this started. I know that I – so let me backtrack. So what was happening when I worked in this place – he – the guy that I was dating, he – he, I was trying to create an innovative – solution in this home in this um psychiatric facility Mm -hmm. i wanted to create a medical home a primary care home so we could treat them psychiatrically but also for primary care Mm -hmm. that's what i was using my doctor nursing practice because i was trying to be innovative right so he comes to me and he says i have a pharmacist who can help you if you do if you use these different creams and this tablet which is it's modafinil it's indicated for um mental illness adjunct therapy for depression then you'll be able to take them off their pain medications because there's lidocaine which is a topical cream mm-hmm. um you can get them off their pain medications which is what we wanted to do i didn't want them on benzodiazepines uppers downers stimulants like you don't want that as right. a clinician with people who are mentally ill and have substance abuse problems you want them on as minimal amount of these these very dangerous addictive substances so when I had that intention, he came to me with his pharmacist and was like, hey, he can solve all your problems and he'll go and he'll deliver to your, your homeless people for free. You don't even have to track them down. They don't have to come here. I'm thinking, that's God's sin. This is brilliant. <laughs> Why would I not yeah. do it? It solves yeah. all of my problems and then some. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, hell yeah, sign, sign me up, yeah. right? So um, this that happened probably around, I think it was around November and then I was approached around, I think, February, January, February. So it's just a few months of this going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was a couple of months until I could leave, right? That I was, I knew what was going on, but I was passively participating so I could not die. Right. right. <laughs> so I wouldn't be threatened or I, this guy was, you know, was, he was very scary when he flipped the switch. So yeah. um, what I didn't know is that they had this whole other scheme going on that was very, very big. It was a national thing that had been actually going on for years. So what he was doing and what I kind of got pulled into ended up being something like as an aside from this right. bigger, huge thing that was going on for a much longer time. Well, so the doctor who reported and came to you, he didn't do anything about it? So he was the owner of the business. Yeah. And so he found out because he also, I believe, sat on one of the insurance insurance boards yeah right and so he would get I think monthly audits or somehow he became aware through his connections that his clinic was billing the insurance company a lot through this compound pharmacist so he was sort of indicated hey there's there has been some very high level amounts of prescriptions being sent through your 
prescribers. So then he must have done some investigating or obviously he was much more aware to these schemes that happened to be very prevalent in Las Vegas um, and then approached me like, is this what's going on? Are you getting, you know, are you involved in the scheme? And I was like, I I had no idea what he was talking about. So it was just through his network and his connections that he became aware that there was some very sketchy levels of reimbursement that were happening suddenly. Yeah, and I ask that for any nurses or doctors that are listening so that they are, yeah. know they can hear this and look for those warning signs and those red flags. What Absolutely. are some of those? So, yeah, that's, I mean, that certainly is one, and I had no idea. I mean, it wasn't my practice, so I didn't mm-hmm. know that. And um, if you own a practice or you're the person involved in the insurance um knowing what is being billed is probably a great practice to get into just Mm -hmm. to know what's being um, sent out. I mean, when it's a small practice, it's much easier because there's more audits that you can do on a regular basis. So keeping aware of that. Um, The other thing is, I guess, just, you know, I honestly, I don't know how someone could, I've thought about this so many times. And this is why I had stepped back from medicine for a short period of time because I was so terrified. I couldn't trust myself. How could I trust people? How mm-hmm. could I, you know, what could I have done to have known that my prescriptions were being used in this way? How did right. I know? How could I know that the prescriber or that that the compound pharmacist was taking my prescriptions and amending them and billing higher amounts than what I had originally prescribed. Right. I, I, there, I don't believe there was any way that I could have known that. Unless you're intentionally looking. And Unless you're intentionally yeah, looking, yeah. and then that becomes a little bit obsessive, a little yeah. compulsive. Um, you know, I think this is a very rare kind of situation, but um, there, there could certainly be a way to be periodically getting um, audits or doing audits of your own. See, and the, the thing, too, is that these weren't controlled substances. Only one of them was. So there is a PMP. Mm-hmm. It's called PMP Aware. It's a controlled substance um, database right. that prescribers who have narcotic prescribing privileges can check. But two of those medications were not controlled. There would have been been very mm. difficult for yeah. an audit to happen. It would have been through the insurance. The insurance company would have to be the one to red flag. And that might be the best way is to have a sort of a relationship with your insurance carrier to be maybe indicating if there are some changes in the prescribing um, practices. Yeah, that's but, actually really good. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So continuing, you're in bed with your kids. In, right, in bed with my kids, and I hear this rapping at the door at like 6.30 in the morning. Uh-huh. You know, it was on, on a Friday. Um, I go downstairs, and I open the door, and oh, my God, there was like five FBI agents right there. That's scary. Scary. I was in my pajamas like no makeup, like half asleep because I don't get up at 6.30. <laughs> I think, I had, no, the kids didn't even have school that day. I think it was a day off or something like that, um, super early. And I just had no idea what was happening. I had no clue. And they just said, you know, you're under arrest. You're coming with us. And I'm like, oh, 
my God, my kids are upstairs asleep in my bed. Like, can you, like, what do I do with them? And so thank God they stayed asleep the whole time. And I, you know, called my ex-husband. He came over, he grabbed the kids. He's like, what's happening? I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. Like, um, so he stayed inside with the kids. I went upstairs, you know, got myself kind of together. They allowed me at least that. And they cuffed me and they took me downtown. I had no clue. They would not tell me anything what was happening and uh, until I got down there. And then all of the questioning and everything started happening and um, not knowing like what was going on, um, just completely shocked by the whole thing. So that was the, really the beginning of the nightmare. I thought this was all a nightmare up until this point, being in, right. you know, losing my family, kind of in the divorce or, you know, having our, our difficult times and then going through all of the humiliation and all the things that my ex-husband was doing to try and make me isolated and whatever. And the abuse of this gentleman that I was trying to get out of and raising my kids and doing all the things, that was nothing compared to what I was about to experience. Oh my gosh, up until this time, Leslie, did you have any support? Were you talking to anyone? Were you sharing this with friends? So I didn't, and so that's, that's a great question. So when I was, when I immigrated to the United States from Canada, both my ex-husband and I were our immigrants, um, I was so focused on just getting my degrees Right, so I had I came here with my undergraduate, my bachelor's degree in nursing. I got my master's degree to become a nurse practitioner. I worked full time. I did IVF with both my babies, you know, which took a lot. I went to I was getting my doctoral degree, working like four days a week, raising little kids. I had no time for friends. I didn't know. I was always bullied growing up. I I was a tomboy. I didn't really get along with girls. I had two older brothers. I understood men. I was very athletic. I did I did danced ballet semi-professionally. I was very athletic and just focused on what I wanted to do mm. in life. Right. I was very, very driven, very anxious, you know, very, very anxious. I have there's obsessive compulsive disorder in my family, right? So in part of my management of that, my coping, I think, too, is just being very focused and driven on what it is that I wanted to do in life. Um, so I, I didn't get women. I didn't understand. My mom didn't really have it. She's very <laughs> entrepreneurial. So I didn't have really any support systems. I wasn't close with my family, like yeah. I said. I didn't have a lot of girlfriends, any, really. I had my relationship, my children, and my work and school. Mm. So I didn't. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have a coach. I didn't do any of that stuff until... I ended up getting indicted. Mm. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Let me backtrack. I didn't have regular support, but about four months before I was indicted, I started having these very intense spiritual things happen to me. So it was kind of what what's called the dark night of the soul, where you have an intense spiritual awakening. A lot of people aren't familiar with what that is. Yeah. Um, being very science-minded, um, I was very resistant to what was happening. I was in denial. I was kind of pushing it away, but some really crazy phenomena were happening. And so I started seeing someone who did Reiki. Mm -hmm. She was Reiki, but she didn't just do Reiki. She actually had these really 
interesting abilities or whatever. She was she could when I would like when I, whatever I was going through, she was able to sense it, understand it, and she helped me make sense of it. And it was very helpful for me to understand. Okay, this is like a this is very spiritual. I'm unlocking a lot of this deep stuff in me as part of my evolutionary process. She was the only person, but she was helping me just cope with all of the drama and the the tension that was happening in my life when the indictment happened. Obviously, I was seeing her more often, um, but I still didn't have anyone that I could talk to that could be of support to me outside of those like once a week sessions of just grounding my energy and making me feel like I'm not going crazy. Yeah. That's tribe is so important and to not have that support. But on the flip side, I can tell you don't know what you're missing if you didn't have it. And that's exactly right. I yeah. didn't realize, you know, I, again, I, and I, I don't, I love my parents. My parents are in a, such an amazing place now. They didn't know because they, you know, their, their parents were, from the Ukraine, both of them, right? They so they were farmers. They even though they're educated, my parents are educated. They didn't they didn't know what they needed to share with me. I mean, in Canada, you didn't need to know all of these things, street smarts and and reinforcing all this stuff. They were great people and hardworking. And you have your your partner, and that's just what you do. It's you and your partner against the world, I guess, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know that I needed to have friends or that kind of network. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, if I would have had that, it would have been a completely different experience. You know, I wouldn't have been so isolated. I would have had people that coached me through it. I would have had someone to guide me and I wouldn't have made the decision of just keeping quiet. I would have Mm. You know yes. what I mean? Because I didn't. I just it was just yes. me, and I was afraid. I couldn't go to my parents. I was afraid. Couldn't. I didn't have any friends to go to mm -hmm. for advice. I didn't. I was terrified to go to the authorities. The last thing I need, battling a divorce, was having my ex husband take my kids away, or, or something like these were real fears that I were so irrational, but real. Yeah. And I didn't have anyone to bounce them off of. Oh, Leslie, that's terrifying. It was it was terrifying beyond. <laughs> beyond. How did you get through the indictment by yourself? I know you had this other person. How did you get through that? Well, um, barely. Hmm. Barely. Um, there were like three times I had a bottle of pills in my hands. Um, almost took them. It was my spirituality, to be honest, that got me through it. Um, in that there was a moment I remember so vividly because this is what made the foundation of the coaching that I do and the everything that I've come into and the growth that I, I've invested in and the staple of my life going forward is that stillness. So there's a saying that I oftentimes will, will share with people in the stillness, the word of God speaks, right? And it's basic, and people don't like the word God or source or whatever you want to use, but um, in those still moments when you're not thinking and you're just raw and deeply connected with yourself, mm -hmm. there's those, that moment of inspiration or a voice or whatever you want to call it happens because you're in this, that you, you're tapped into that void of like, 
infinite knowledge, this consciousness, this other field, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so getting very, very still was what my coping was. So even though I had this anxiety and OCD tendency, I didn't do any medication. Mm-hmm. I used some herbs and tinctures to help calm my nervous system. But meditation was what helped me not just survive but thrive and make sense of um, everything and giving me that guidance of how to navigate and know that everything was going to be okay and that I'm safe and I'm protected and that I can make it through this. Yeah, I love about, you know, you talking about that stillness and I usually, the way I interpret it and um, I say be still, just be still and know that God is out there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what I'm hearing you say also is that you have to almost empty yourself and be open to receive. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. And then you experience that fullness of some people call it spirituality or God or you're hearing, you're actually hearing Mm -hmm. um, and receiving what you need to do. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. So did you have to serve jail time? How did that went down? No, no. So it was a two and a half year process. They wanted me to go away for five years. Mm. I was like, this is not possible. I mean, they... They really um, wanted to, they really were believing one thing that was not the full story, right? Mm-hmm. And and for whatever the reasons were on their side, you know, it just, it took the way as long as it needed to take. I don't want to get into all the specifics of that, just yeah. for my yeah. own, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't end up serving any time Um but that process of getting my voice heard and the truth shared, um, I was completely alienated from the community and just what what is out there about the story is so inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Even on these so-called legitimate legal websites is not at all like what the truth was, even what the charges originally were that have been since dropped. Um, so, you know, it, it was, yeah, th- that all resolved. Um, but there's just, there was just so much um, consequence despite the resolution. You know what, I, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I want to go back to because as you're talking, I can't get this image out of my head of you sitting down with that bottle of pills because I've been there myself. Yeah. yeah. And um, literally, yeah. Three times, three times, and you resisted all three times without support. I, you're a strong woman. You are brave. You are resilient. I want to give that to you. Um, I'm honored to know you and have you on this podcast. And I know people will hear this story and they will know that they can persevere also. Because if you can in that moment, I can't imagine not having a community and going through what you did. So. Yeah, and and, and to be honest, I didn't even keep going for my children. Like I love my kids and a lot of people have a reason. There were moments where it's just like, maybe they'd be better off without. Yeah. You know? And, and it wasn't, it was not, 
my family, it wasn't my children. None of those things exterior to me Mm -hmm. are actually what made me not take them. What was it? It was the, in that still moment, I heard the words, and I can't, I can't say verbatim, but it was some, something to the effect of, um, this is not how it has to be. Mm. There's greatness for you, essentially, was the, like, I, I hear, I've heard many times throughout my life that, and I still get that kind of guidance happening at times when I really need it. Um, but it was just this knowing, this sort of download, this overwhelming message and understanding in that still moment where I was totally raw and not in my head. And, and it was really, I could have just been so in my ego and just popped them. Yeah. But for some reason, when I looked at them, at the pills, and I said, like, okay, am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. And then I like waited. I didn't know this was an intuitive thing. I don't know what happened, why. I just looked at them and I was just quiet and still. And in that moment, it was just like, there's something so much greater for you. It doesn't have to be like this, or it's not going to be like this. There's something greater for you. And then I just put them down. And the first time was the most powerful. The mm-hmm. second time, I had them in my hands, and I'm just like, that was ego, and i just like, no, I can't. We're not going to do this. Right. The last time, I had the bottle, and I was just like, what are you doing, right? So the first time was the really most pivotal. Um, it was kind of like the second and third were like, am I sure? Yeah. Am I sure I want to stay, Am I or do I want to go? Because it got really hard. Right. Um, but it, that's what it was. It was nothing else other than the belief in myself that I had the power to make my life different despite all the odds against me. Mm, that's so powerful. It was the belief I, in yeah. my ability. ability. Yes. My ability yes. to do it. Uh, wow. That is powerful. That is powerful. So you went through two years of hell and you came out of it and look who you are today tell us how you got to where you are today (laughs) well um an enormous amount of self-reflection and um i've so my spiritual awakening happened because of this so it started before or as when I moved into that psychiatric facility, I started having a little bit of these spiritual sort of experiences all throughout my life. I've been kind of inclined, you know, I'd, I've, I'd meditated when I was like a preteen and I was always fascinated by spirituality. I always knew there was something more. I always knew that there was something beyond our, our regular senses. Yeah that we could tap into. And so it just sort of started hitting me out of nowhere. And then, so as as I sort of allowed that to happen and sunk more into it, the spirituality and, and, you know, just that path is sort has been, was like the pivotal piece to everything. It kind of helped me get through. Yeah. So today, what are um, 
what are you doing today? You're, you're doing that, you know, that process, the spiritual mindfulness process. What do you call all of that? What are some of the things? You, I know you do a lot of things. <laughs> Tell our audience who you are today. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So I still, I, I have a coaching practice. Yeah. I, I do coaching specifically on a sort of client by client basis. Yeah. I used to do it very exclusively for a couple of years of the pandemic as I kind of stepped back into medicine and really honed this. I developed a process called the remap process that I created. It's the process I used to heal and get through this very rapidly. And I don't have any trauma of this anymore. I've mm. healed from it. I've, I've forgiven. I've moved on. To have gone through what I've gone through and not be traumatized and bitter and angry is almost miraculous. It truly is. Yeah, yeah. You know, just not having commit suicide was is enough, but also being <laughs> yeah. healthy and loving and sharing and and the way I am is, you know, um, lends support to this process that I created. So the remap process. So I do. I will do coaching on an exclusive sort of case by case basis for mm -hmm. people who really want to do that sort of more deep dive um, into getting really sovereign and coming into their wholeness, their loving wholeness, yeah. so they can become their best version of themselves, the version they're supposed to be yeah. in light of their challenging life circumstances. So I do that. I do a lot of speaking, um, again, just try to try and help people understand how they can incorporate or start really accelerating their self-evolutionary process. And it doesn't have to necessarily be spiritually, although there are a lot of people who are spiritually inclined. But just this is all about helping people evolve quicker. So I'm all about practicality. I'm yeah. all about efficiency and efficacy, right? Yeah. So I do the speaking. I do coaching. And now I've gotten back into the medical world, helping sort of bridging this whole complete mind, body, soul, sort of this complete wellness, health and wellness sort of arena with how to help the body evolve and open up and regenerate because really we don't have to evolve in a negative way. Right. Mentally, spiritually, it's the opposite. We can do the same thing with our body. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm so thrilled to hear you say you're getting back in the medical arena. I'm so thrilled to hear that. Congratulations. When is your book coming out? <laughs> I have three. I have three books templated. Um, okay. Stay tuned. Maybe the first one. I'm hoping the first one will come out this summer, but I will be starting right, a podcast. It's promoted here. I, absolutely. I will be actually starting my own podcast on health and wellness, awesome. talking about all things awesome. spirituality, mindfulness, um, you know, physical regeneration, yeah. all the goodies um, yeah. from people who have experienced their own issues in any of those genres and how they overcome it and speaking with awesome. experts. Let's ask a fun question. What's yeah. on your nightstand? Okay. My nightstand, I have an empty can of grapefruit fresca. <laughs> I have some fake pearls because I was at a tango festival this last weekend and I just threw it on my nightstand. It was a roaring 20s theme. Yeah, yeah. I have my cuticle cream. <laughs> I have a jar of Lubriderm lotion for my hands because my hands are always dry and gross. 
and I have my comb with my little the pick so I could get a nice yeah. That's we should <laughs> ask this question every time. This is fun. <laughs> I don't have a lamp because I have a standing lamp. No, that's all that I have. And probably I also have like a coffee ring stain on my nightstand for my coffee. Thanks for keeping it real. So what's the takeaway for our audience today? <laughs> the takeaway is, oh my God. I cannot stress enough the importance of support systems, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really underestimated the importance of that. And um, so that's the big first thing is just making sure that you have a really strong network of people that you trust mm-hmm. who really care about you. And to do that, sort of the caveat is that you have to be in a place in your life, you have to be ready and willing to be able to have that and harness those relationships, right? So if you don't know how to have relationships, learn how to do that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know how to do that. Yeah. So um, so that for sure. And, um, you know, you need to speak up when, if you're in danger, if there's something, do not go it alone. It can get very scary and ugly. And, you, you know, you just don't want to expose yourself to a situation where you're open to um, to having pain like that. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. People don't have to go through this type of you know issue. So have good support systems and speak up and report when you know that there's something mm-hmm. going on. Don't don't think that it's just going to go away because it won't. Yeah, I like that a lot. And. Um you know, I always end with, it's never too late to start living resiliently. And that was my takeaway I picked up is tribe is so important. Community is so important. And when you're going through hardships, find somebody to share that with because they can share their experience with you. and But they can also give you advice and help you walk that journey. So thank you so much for coming on our show today, Leslie. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm laughing at something we said in the beginning. Oh I know. God. I caught, caught that too. I'm trying to keep my composure, but didn't happen. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And um, if you're listening to this, rate, review, and share with your friends. Thanks to Sticky Pot Studios and Austin Behind the Decks. Thank <laughs> you.